Welcome to Despirituality. Today, you are and I am fortunate to have a wonderful guest with us who's going to help us with our theme. Our theme today is going to be In God Alone. You know, there are times in life when uh, things get tough. And I know that uh, for most of us, we've been living through a pandemic wherever we are in the world, uh, whether we're in the U.S. or we're outside of the U.S., where we're podcasting from Silicon Valley, uh, we all feel that sense of stress, that chronic stress. And when you see over 700,000 people die in the pandemic, we face economic displacement, uh, all kinds of things that are on the news that every time we wake up, it seems like there's a tragedy or a difficulty. It can sometimes be difficult to hold on to our faith. And so today, in talking about in God alone, we're going to be talking about building an unshakable relationship with God. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody blows it. Everybody sins. Everybody ends up, at least I end up, lost. Uh, but we can find our way home. And so we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, we have an exceptional guest with us, uh, someone who got, I've gotten to know a whole lot better recently, but has been uh, in and around the circles I've traveled in for a while now. Uh, it's A.T. Arneson, and we're going to discuss this theme. A.T. is a Midwest native, which uh, so am I. Uh, studying public relations, advertising, and applied communication at Loris College and obtaining a master's of speech communication and rhetoric at Marquette University. So I've got to be careful today because he'll talk circles around me. Uh, the Marquette University, as I was telling him, that's a basketball powerhouse when I was growing up. Still a pretty good basketball school now. Then returning to get a master's of theological studies from Harding University, A.T.'s been the Congregational Evangelist of Chicago Church of Christ since 2007, uh, working to build the Chicago church in such a way as to be a pillar congregation in the work of strengthening, planning, and growing churches in the Midwest and across the world. And as someone who's grown up in the Midwest and still shouts, Michigan, go blue. Uh, it's great to have you today, A.T., with us. And uh, I know we've talked uh, or texted and talked about the fact that you are a Packers fan, which uh, that's a good old Midwest uh, town, but I don't know how you survive in Chicago. Welcome to the podcast, A.T. Russ, thank you so much. It's uh, wonderful to be here. It's an honor to be here. I was, uh, I've been really anticipating this and looking forward to the conversation. And yes, I am a displaced Packer fan living here in Chicago. Well, that's amazing. I was when I was in school, uh, one of my buddies, his name is Tim Wobbin, uh, quite a quite a football player uh, back in the day. Uh, he was there in Michigan. You know, of course, we had the Lions, which that's a that 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 was, you know, that was a painful upbringing. Uh, still painful today. We're still waiting. Uh, but uh, he was the lone Packers fan in a high school of over 2000 kids. <laughs> he wore the colors and him and his two brothers. It was amazing. Uh, the Packers have a great deal of influence in the Midwest. A lot of people don't understand that. It's not just a team in uh, Wisconsin. It's a it's a Midwest powerhouse of a lot of tradition. Uh, I'm glad that you've joined us for this uh, theme in God alone. And uh, I picked uh, a scripture to sort of uh, get us set up for that uh, in Psalm 62 for those who are listening. Uh, and I use the NRSV translation. And of course, you know, whatever translation helps you be inspired to read, we hope you use. And as I alluded to before, these have been some difficult times. And one of the things that can be missed on occasion is our walk with God. Let me just read a couple of passages that I'm going to get A.T. in here, because one of the reasons that uh, me and the, and the team here at D-Spirituality wanted to have A.T. in is our respect for uh, he and his wife, Marcy, uh, and, and what they're doing spiritually uh, and being able to watch the Chicago church and also to be able to see 
uh, his interaction with uh, the people that I know and influence on them, it's uh, it's quite distinct in, a, in an inspiring way. And I think all of you out there are going to be encouraged deeply by the conversation we have today. And I look forward to what I'm going to learn from A.T. In Psalm 62 and verse 1, it says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. We'll talk more about Psalm 62. But the reason we're talking about it today is it's easy in this world where there's so much emotion. There are financial burdens, there are emotional burdens, there are family challenges, there are health challenges. Sometimes there's spiritual challenges with the polarization of America regarding all kinds of social issues and political issues. It's easy to lose our relationship with God. It's easy to forget that it's in the silence of pursuing our soul hunger for God that we find the salvation from so many different things that hit us in our life. And so I want to bring A.T. in. And one of the things I wanted to start out with, A.T., is asking you this. What does it mean to you to build a relationship with God? Because everybody has a different view. But what does that mean to you? And how would you, how would you help those are, that are our listeners to understand what is that and why is that so important? Yeah. No, this is, uh, yeah, I was really, I think, Russ, one of the things I was really drawn to is just let's talk about this topic. You know, this, yeah. this is it. You're right. I mean, I, the, 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 the level of stress in the world right now, uh, people grasping at uh, spectrums of, of uh, opinions and all kinds of things clashing with each other. I just am like, wow, what a refreshing topic to hit today. And I, I even just, just a quick comment on Psalm 62 there, and sure. I know you're going to come back to it, but this idea of, of, of kind of the sense of, oh, okay, I'm with God, yeah. my soul rests, you know what I mean? Yeah. In God alone. And, um, you know, I'm 30 years into this, uh, kind of pursuing Christ, being a disciple of Jesus, uh, yeah. pursuing Christianity. And I'll tell you what, I feel like it's an ever unfolding process. I was thinking about this, uh, this question, what does it mean to build a relationship with God? And I think that's a great way to frame it. We're building a relationship with God. Beautiful. Just like I'm 30 years into my marriage. I was married when I was baptized into Christ. My, I met my wife when I was 15 years old and we started oh, wow. building at 15 years old. And I was like, it, it's funny. We were like, we're going to get married, you know, but we had yeah. no idea. You can, you gotta, even 30 years in, you've got to build the relationship. Yes, uh, yes. And, and, and so these concepts of a relationship just happens is a, is a false concept. You know, it's, it's, it's something that every relationship, no matter how long you've been at it, it takes continued investment, continued work. And uh, I couldn't help but think about the idea of we work on our relationship with God from the inside out. Beautiful. Uh, th this idea of, you know, it, God is not, he's not looking for me to perform for him. He's looking for my heart and his heart to be knit together. Beautiful. And uh, I was talking with Marcy about this, and I, I certainly want to invite you into this, this, this dialogue here, Russ, too. I don't want to dominate this. But I'm loving I'm it. Just... Keep talking, man. I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. <laughs> well, because I, I'm just like, oh, I, I, you know, when I, when I first became a Christian, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it means to have a relationship with God. This isn't what it means to check this box of performative uh, excellence or, yes. you know, to, to, to go to church one year straight or something like that. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. It's from the inside out. And I'm telling you, when I found that 30 years ago as a 23 year old married young man with a baby, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And when I was talking to Marcy about this, she says, isn't it amazing that God is the pursuer through and through in this relationship dynamic? 
Mm. And I think when we think about building a relationship with God, we think of ourselves as the pursuer sometimes, but that's not, that's not actually what the Bible describes in like first John four ten, right? It's like, this is love that not that we love God, but that he loved us. Work it and, out. And then, I like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just I'm this amazing of, we, we basically are responding to God's emphatic statement. I want a relationship with you. And so as we build a walk with God, it's his initiation that facilitates that relationship. He's pursuing us and we're responding. Yes. You know what I mean? And I I love that because then I don't have to look for God. His presence is there. I just have to, I have to respond to it. And I respond to it through his word, through prayer, through quietness and meditation, um, through new relationships like you and I are developing, which I'm really excited about. And, and through old relationships, God reveals himself in very powerful ways. Um, one of the things that you I mentioned, have a couple other thoughts, but yeah, one, one, of the, one of the things you mentioned, and I think it's important, uh, and I'm not gonna, you know, one of the things they talk about with great sports announcers is the really great ones know how to be quiet when there's something going on in the game that sh- there's no words that can describe it. If so, when I'm quiet, it's because I'm, I, I'm trying to, as, as the Chicago bulls coach, Phil Jackson used to say, let the Dobermans go, you know, let them go free, <laughs> let them run, let them run. Exactly uh, right. But uh, you talked about silence. And, and one of the things is you were referring to Psalm 61. I love your reference to first John four ten. One of my favorite uh, concepts is that he loved us first. And, um, but when you talked about the silence, what are the things that you look at in your own life or that you've experienced in trying to help people with their relationship with God, the noises that end up getting into our heads and our lives? You could certainly help me out with that because I'm a very emotional person. And so sometimes my emotions can take over my mind. And I think I'm in my relationship with God, but I'm actually being consumed by all my feelings and all my thoughts, all my worries about my kids, et cetera. How do you address that? How do you deal with that? How do you talk about that? The noises that come in and the silence that we need to keep focused on, on God. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I'm a very, uh, I'm very extroverted and my wife is more of an introvert, although she's great. I mean, she loves being around people, but I think for me, I get a lot of energy when I'm out and around people and, and I'm, I'm, I'm engaging in conversations like this and, uh, I'm being active and so for me, that that quietness, that sense of, okay, hold on, I need some I need some quiet time, and I don't mean a ritualistic quiet time per se. We may get into that a little bit later as an important right. part of this. But I've got to slow the firing of the amygdala down. I mean, I'm not a neurologist, but <laughs> I, I <understand laughs> but you slept at a Holiday Inn last night. I bet you slept at a Holiday Inn, so you're good. You're good, man. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? But I, I so you know I've got to stop that. So when I feel the rising anxieties of life in the world and I feel the, um, uh, the, the stress kind of, Marcy and I talk a lot about a stress barrel. When the stress barrel gets flow, full and starts to overflow, I know I need time. I need that quiet time uh, with God and I need to make sure I'm, we're working a lot on like meditation, using things like meditation twice yeah. a day right now in our lives. Excellent. Um, we're, doing, uh, we're, we're doing things like uh, uh, it's called a breath prayer where you're, you're not having to be creative in your prayer time with God. You're literally reciting scripture in some recitation process mm-hmm. over and over, um, uh, uh, camping out on the very words that you're uttering in, in this kind of, um, 
I don't, I don't want to call it ritualistic way, but I, I've been doing a lot of these things to calm my mind in, in important moments throughout the day so that I can really practice the presence of God. As they it, say. So, it sounds like you're, I love that, that there's that book, Brother Lawrence writes about, um, there's a book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And one of the things he talks about is going, I, I'm going to use my language. He talks about going beyond the quiet time. And of course, you referred to it already. The quiet time is that structural time preferably in the morning, at least in my opinion, preferably in the morning where you read your Bible and you pray. But one of the difficulties is that itself can become ritualistic. So what you're talking about is becoming creative. And meditation is an underestimated aspect of things. When I studied religion in college, one of the things that struck me is that religions like Buddhism had a much greater focus on meditation. And it was almost like Christianity doesn't have that, but Christianity does have that, but it's often neglected. And so when you talked about, and I'd not heard the phrase before, the breath prayer about focusing in on scripture. And what I find it is, you know, is, is you're talking about almost getting in a rhythm and the way you recite those, you're getting yourself in a rhythm. And one of the things that helped me when I was a younger Christian was memorizing scripture and that did that did help me a lot, you know, is, is the, 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 the memorization of scripture. But this to me is maybe less cumbersome for some people who may have trouble memorizing things to be able to to recite scripture and learn how to pray those scriptures. I don't know. That was pretty that that, that struck me. I'd like to hear a little more about that. And I really want to hear about the stress barrel because I think I own a whole factory of stress barrels. Well, it's true. <laughs> and, it, you know, uh, it, it's it's so I like I have in the back of my little uh, journal here just some some uh some scriptures that I just like to recite, you know, the man who delights in God's law is like a tree planted by, by uh, streams of water, which yields fruit in its season is who, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prosper today. Uh, today, I, I recited that just over and over again, God, I love your word. I love thinking about you through, through uh, understanding your word. And, and, and through that, God, uh, you will bring prosperity to my life. I'm not talking about prosperity gospel, but that sense of peace, that sense of uh, a relationship with God, that sense of everything's going to be okay. Yeah. The Lord is near. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I think that's really great. And, you know, my wife, and uh, so my wife, uh, you may know this, Russ, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but for 25 years, we've had to navigate um, what I would call an extreme uh, battle with uh, severe migraines. Oh, yeah. And, on her part. And, and as a result of that, that has forced us into a world where we just can't keep going in the rat race of life. Like we have to create our home has to be a haven of peace mm -hmm. and spirituality. Mm. Uh, we pray and I don't even know how it works. So we're hoping the Holy Spirit interprets these prayers for us. But God, uh, put your your guardian angels around our home and make mm -hmm. it a fortress of peace Beautiful. in the chaos of the world. And so Man. if you walk into our home, the candles being lit, the plants in the south window, uh, the greenery, the the way we uh, the, the 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 lack of clutter is all an, an avenue by which we can enter a place of rest and peace and quiet and make our home that place. You know, if we can't find that peace out in the world, which we can't. Right. Even though God is walking with us in those places, we can come home and create a place here that is a haven of rest and spiritual protection, a fortress of peace and quietness. And we've worked really hard on that. Now, somebody will go, but aren't your kids out of the home? And I go, yes, they are. And we earned the peace that we now find in our, our home. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I don't, we don't I don't, have, I don't have that yet. I'm not, I'm not there. I don't have that. I don't have that. So but maybe there's a room. I don't so know, maybe what know? I'll do is I'll envy you. No, I, I, I believe in what you're talking about. And I think we can tie this into some of the rest of Psalm 62, but I want to come back. Yeah. You were talking about migraines. I find I've had family members who dealt with migraines, uh, I, uh, people that I know have dealt with migraines. And I think it's difficult when you don't have them to completely understand the debilitating nature of the pain that they cause. And I'm glad you brought it up because I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are saying, finally, somebody is acknowledging that this is a real thing and that we have to attack it, uh, not just spiritually, but environmentally. And by that, I just, I'm talking about how you described your home. I had a similar experience. Uh, I have two kids with special needs, as I think you may know, and one with autism, yeah. one with Down syndrome, and three kids total, uh, and a daughter who just started uh, college th- this year. And um, But one of the things we've done is it, it caused me to make decisions about everything from uh, travel uh, to daily schedule. Uh, I love to work, so that's never been a problem. But learning to get, going back to your idea about uh, reciting scripture, going to work, having rhythm and having sanctuary, which the Bible talks about a lot, says God is our sanctuary. But I think if God is our sanctuary, then we have to be willing to come into a place of uh, and create a place of peace. I find not only for ourselves in our own relationship with God, like you talked about inside out, but in our own family. And and what I want people to hear you saying is that, you can make a big difference in your job, whether you're working at a startup, whether you're working at a Fortune 500 company, whether you're working in a nonprofit or for-profit, whether you're the president or, or you're a clerk, you can make a big difference in your job without losing your mind, without letting noise come in and and take over your entire life. But you have to have courage. And what you're talking about with you and Marcy, in my opinion, is you're talking about faith and courage to say, wait a minute, if we don't build our life right, we can't help anybody else build their life. And I like the way you describe everything about how you're attacking it. And we've done a similar thing. I had a talk with a friend years and years ago, approximately 17 years ago, and we were standing outside my house and I was saying, I, you know, how do you, how do you juggle, you know, family and all the responsibility? And I was doing a lot of things. And he said, well, the one thing I can tell you is you've got to make your home a sanctuary. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Because when I was growing up as a kid, I made my house a, a, a self a selfishionary. Uh, it was all about me. And my parents were just actors in the movie called Russ. And so I, I, I was like, what's a sanctuary? And he described that after a long day and a hard day, even I should be able to walk into my home and not bring the stress of life into it, but walk into this place of spirituality and peace that you describe. Obviously, we have our arguments, our battles, our stressors and our families, but it's still a place of sanctuary. And I think that comes from developing the kind of relationship with God you're talking about. So I want to appeal to folks that are out there. Maybe you have a chronic illness. uh, Maybe you're dealing with a a health diagnosis that's particularly disturbing and discouraging. Uh, maybe during the pandemic because of your health or your age or something you're dealing with, you've not been able to go out and see as many people. Uh, maybe you just have a lot of worry. Maybe you've lost your job. Uh, maybe your pay's been cut. Um, maybe you've moved to a new place and now you regret where you moved because you thought it was going to be great and it isn't. In all those circumstances, finding God alone is not just your quiet time where you get up in the morning and read your Bible and pray, but it's creating an environment in your marriage and your family where you gain strength 
from your relationship with God and from each other. And I love the example you're setting. I'm going to read a couple of more aspects of Psalm 62. And of course, I, I'm really excited when you introduce the scriptures and concepts that you have. And I know people are going to get a lot out of this already. I'm getting a lot out of it. I, I want to go away and, and and meditate on some scripture, honestly, and and just just keep. And I, I what I do is I actually write them down. So I write out scripture over scripture and and it really does something for me. But in Psalm 62 and verse two, again, I'm in the NRSV. It says he alone, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. Um, one of the things I want to mention here for all of us is, and and you're exemplifying this and, and, and Marcy's, I don't want to leave Marcy out. And I would say Gail for me, she, she is the reason that I became focused on and devoted to God early on in my Christian life and my leadership life, I was relying a lot on talent and personality. I'm not saying I had a lot of talent. I just was relying on the whatever I had. Uh, And I was relying on personality, even in my leadership. I was oftentimes pointing to what I knew or what I'd been taught or what another human being had told me. And the evolution of my life was one, failure. That was a big part of my spiritual life. Uh, just constant failure, rise and fall, do great and then crash, do great and do crash until I came to the conclusion that the most consistent part of my crashing spiritually was that I did not have a single-minded devotion to God. And I think that's what Psalm 62 verse two is saying. He alone is there has to be a singularity almost. And where you're saying, look, more than anyone else, God is my source more than anyone else. I'm trying to please him. Because when I do those things, I love people more. When I do those things, I love my family more. When I do those things, I gain greater internal strength. And he says he alone is, I think he says three things here. He's my rock, my salvation, and my fortress. Now, I'm going to ask you, uh, we're, 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 we're doing a little Aaron Rodgers, and we're moving away from the playbook we had. I'm going to ask you different kinds of questions because you're making me think about this. But when I listen to you talk and I see this with Gail and all the things that she she'll text me scriptures or talk to me about them or concepts she's getting about God or things she's thinking about God. And oftentimes when I'm getting a little more wrapped up in people, she'll bring me back and say, well, don't you think we ought to be thinking about what God's trying to do here? But when I hear you guys talk and I think about us, it's very personal for you. And when the psalmist writes my, 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 I think he's saying this is personal. I don't. I'm not doing church because I want to be part of a church community. That's not my highest joy. I'm not being a leader because I feel like I'm supposed to be a leader and serve people. That's not my highest reasoning. My highest reasoning is pretty, very, very personal. God is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. And then he says, I shall never be shaken. And he's, it's just personal. I think for some people I've talked to, and I know this was the way it was for me, it's not personal yet. I'll tell you a story and then I want to let you jump in. When I was a fairly young Christian, I was in the dorm. I was living in the dorm in Boston there. And um, I'd heard a sermon that morning and the sermon was on the cross. And the guy preaching said, you should always feel a lot about the cross. You should be motivated by the cross. And I sat there during the sermon and thinking, I don't know that I feel that. So I went home and I was thinking about it still. And I called up you know, uh, one of the great influences on my life. And I said, Hey, I got a question. I don't feel that. Is there something wrong with me? Am I not, you know, there must be something wrong. He says, you know, you don't always feel it every day. I don't think you should be overly concerned about that. As the years went by, I realized I should have been 
overly concerned about it because what it was a sign for me of is I was emotionally suppressed and shut off. Part of the reason I wasn't feeling a lot about the cross is because I wasn't dealing with my own emotions. It, God had not yet become emotional to me. I was dutiful. I was uh, ritualistic. I, I was really working hard to get that quiet time down every morning, which was difficult for me. You know, to wake up every morning and try to have a quiet time was really hard. So it wasn't personal. It wasn't until years later, failure, suffering, embarrassment, uh, struggling with, do I even want to stay a Christian? It wasn't until those things that I began to realize this has got to become more personal for me. And so when I'm, when I listen to you talk, I think one of the things I hear in you and Marcy is very personal. Even the difficulties you guys have gone through, it's made it personal. And I I want you to talk for a little bit to our audience about how important is that and any tips you have about what can a person do to make God very personal. So it's not just because I go to church. It's not just because I don't want to go to hell and be condemned or I'm afraid, but I truly am personally, I'm going to sound like a cliche, in love with God and moved by him on a daily basis. Maybe you can talk about that for a little bit for me. Oh, I mean, my heart is bursting within me, Russ, because I, this, this is, you're hitting something that's just so, so important to me um, is, you know, this idea that Jesus is Lord, period, end of sentence, not Jesus is Lord so that this comes Mm. my way Mm. or Jesus is Lord if, uh, this thing, this thing can happen for me or Jesus Lord, because, well, what other options? No, I, you know, it's funny as a little boy, um, in some ways I grew up, my first 10 years of life were very, uh, you know, kind of just family oriented holidays together and all this. But at some point my parents started to struggle in their marriage Mm -hmm. and there were times of separation where we would go with my mom and then they'd get back together and try and work it out. Then they'd separate, get back together. And somewhere in there, I started talking to God as a little boy. Really? And, and, and my dad was a proclaimed atheist at the time. We didn't really go to church, but at some point I was trying to make sense out of life back then. And I would try to explain something to God in some weird prayer type thing as a little boy. And I would say, well, God, you know me and you understand what I'm trying to tell you. And that, that was really formative because when I became a Christian, I I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually coming to know the God I was talking to my whole life. I knew God was there, but I didn't know how to connect with God. And so for me, I never aspired to lead at the Chicago church or uh, attain some level of leadership or, you know, um, it was always God, this, I want to be close to you. I want to walk with you. And, and you put this word, um, shakable or unshakable is, is really an important concept because I was thinking about that. What is, what is our relationship? How does our relationship with God become unshakable? Well, I think, first of all, it's got to be authentic. It can't be based on it. It's, it's gotta be that, that heart is, is, is all there. Um, you know, Marcy and I, I was thinking about uh, Psalm 46, of course, Uh, you know, there's this, there's that famous passage in Psalm 46, uh, you know, 10, be still and know that I am God. There's a sense of know that this is God. But you know, what I realized is that entire Psalm, Psalm 46, you get to the end, be still and know that I'm God. Everybody loves that passage. But that entire Psalm is a journey on how to, how you get to that place of stillness and that place of understanding this is God. And Mm so, because it begins with God is our refuge and strength and ever present help and trouble. I believe my 
this is my own personal story, Russ. My own relationship with God has has been fortified and not not fortified beyond measure, but fortified to where it is now through the challenges my wife and I have faced. Mm -hmm. You know, at 34, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, um, you know, my wife's migraine journey. Um, We've been through some things with our children. I Mm -hmm. think we've all been through things with our children. Absolutely. We had a family crisis one time where when the phone rang, Marcy fainted. And uh, at the at, at being distraught, and I had to scoop her up, and I scooped her up in my arms, and without thinking ahead, I just said, "Hun, we will never blame God. We will only turn to God in this moment oh, wow. and praise wow. Him. He's the only path through it." Wow! And then uh, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of our son was actually wounded, severely wounded in a in a gun shooting, uh, gang related gun shooting in the city of Chicago a year ago. And and so I say all of that to say, Russ, that my walk with God has been fortified and founded on those parts of the journey as much as anything uh, in our lives. And if it wasn't, I mean, and literally in those times, I was just like, God, we, you are the only option. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you are who we'll cling to. I hope that's not a rambling statement. No, are you kidding? Are you kidding? First of all, Marcy and I are a hundred percent on the same page. I fainted multiple times. Are you and, serious? Yeah. Well, one, it's it's genetic in my family. But the first time, uh, the the first family related one, one of our, our son was having an ultrasound and I was trying to make sure he stayed in place and stayed still for the ultrasound. And then I was like, hmm, I feel kind of I got to go to the bathroom. I, I feel kind of weird. And on the way, I fainted. Then he was an oral. He was uh, seeing an oral surgeon for his wisdom teeth. And things look like they might not be going so tr- so uh, traditionally uh, normal. And it was like, are we going to have to put him in the hospital or something? And I fainted. So Gail has had to, she's had to watch me faint multiple times. And, and, and it's been, you know, I, it's funny because I'm very calm in circumstances that don't involve my family having pain. But if anybody in my family is experiencing pain, I do it because that is there's something about the emotional connection of family that if something's going on in family, it goes to the to, to use what you mentioned. It goes to the shakable foundations of us. And, and I and I, I remember when my oldest was diagnosed upon delivery, we didn't know it was going to happen with Down syndrome. I didn't even know what it was. And the first thought I had was, okay, God has a plan here. And I'm not saying that in that uh, cliche, religious kind of a, you know, the Lord will take care of us, we're going to be all right. I just went, this is the only place that I can go. And so what you're talking about, what I'm talking about is our relationship with God is forged in reality, not in fantasy. It's not this world of pretend where, sure, everybody has a great quiet time when everything's going great. Everybody does that. The real test, what is it, James 1, is the real test is when the trials come and the difficulties come and, and, the, and the hard things come. That's when you find out how shakable or unshakable your relationship with God is. And that's where it's built. And I want to say to those who are out there who may be struggling right now, and I know there are a lot of people on any given day who are struggling. Uh, you may be struggling with uh, even COVID-19. You may be struggling with just uh, some kind of uh, a difficulty or animosity 
within your family, within your church, over all the political things. Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? Do we get vaccinated? All these things, racial issues, all the different stuff going on. That's one of the challenges of not not allowing ourselves to be shaken off of God. I'm going to read Psalm 50, 62, verse five. For God alone, my soul waits in silence for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And when you talked about talking to Marcy and saying, we're going to we're going to hold on to God, we're going to stick with God. The first thing came to my mind was that that line, my hope is from him. Let me ask you this, because you have a lot of responsibility. There are probably, you know, people who lead companies for sure listening to this. Uh, we also have, I'm glad you brought up your, your dad was, uh, you know, he was, a, I think you said he was an atheist uh, when you were growing up. You know, my dad was, was a little bit more religious. My family though wasn't, and we didn't go to church, but what's funny, and here's where we connect. I started saying prayers when I was a little kid because I was afraid I was going to get drafted and have to go to Vietnam and die. And so I got very obsessed with, I'm gonna die if I have to go to war. So two things happened. I said, I wanna be a nuclear physicist because if I'm a nuclear physicist, I'll make bombs and I won't have to go to war. They'll put me in the lab. That, that was my conclusion. And then I, I said, God, help me live. And that, that was my little prayer, help me live. And um, I, I didn't really stick with it. I, I, I became an agnostic you know, after I got through that period. But I think it's important for people to understand your relationship with God can begin any different way. We have a lot of people listening who are agnostics, who are atheists, who just who like spiritual principles. And what I'd say is your relationship with God can begin any different way. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sure I want to be a Christian. I'm not sure I want to do all that stuff, but I do want a relationship with God. Well, know this. It can begin and it can grow from anything as long as you decide to give God an opportunity to help you and not allow yourself to be left alone. So when you were, when you're giving people leaders, especially when you're talking to leaders and, and I assume you do this and you're trying to help them with their relationship with God, I'm going to do a little, little turn here with you. Are there any things you tell leaders who have a lot of responsibility because it's easy to have not just the noise of your own personal life, but it's easy to have the noise of your responsibility remove God. And I know uh, in different places I've been, there are people that are, you know, executives that are supervisors, product managers, and they're trying to have a relationship with God, but they're under some tremendous pressure uh, to deliver on a daily basis. Uh, There are church leaders that are out there that feel overwhelmed by the needs or sometimes by the criticisms uh, and by the negativity that flows up and at them. Uh, Sometimes because of something they've done, but a lot of times just because of the environment of life. Are there any tips you'd give spiritual leaders, business leaders, people working in, you know, the social sector of life, entrepreneurs that are doing social entrepreneurship, whatever it is, what tips do you give people about how do you get that relationship with God to be outstanding? Because if you have leadership, you probably need a stronger relationship with God than if you're just taking care of yourself. What are your thoughts? I love the way you, you've, us. It makes this conversation so easy and super engaging. Um, yeah, we talk on this level all the time. I, I try to keep things very much in the realm of relational, not institutional. Um, it's super important. Uh, if you come in, if you walk into a staff meeting of the Chicago church, for instance, uh, we have 55 employees here. 
Um, you know, you walk into that staff meeting, there's going to be some banter, there's going to be hugs, there's going to be, you're going to see an environment of relationship. relationship. And I think in our relationship with God, there needs to be authenticity, relational rapport with God, a sense of, uh, you, you know, there's a time to be formal and there's a time to be informal in your relationship with God. But on a leadership side, Russ, I think for me, um, a couple of things I just jotted down as you were mentioning this is, I think we have to have a very much live in a failure tolerant environment wow. in our, in our, in our professional lives. And the reason I say that is I think, I think in the world right now, we need people who are kind of heroic in their uh, ability to press in with good ideas and press in with uh, love. You know what I mean? Yep. Press in with kindness. It's so easy to default to the, uh, the, the cultural context of, 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 of conflict and yeah. biting and devouring each other. And I think right. we need, we need to find that. So, so I think we can't be afraid of failure. If we press in on love and someone doesn't love us back, we're okay with that because we did the right thing. You know wow. what I mean? Yes. And, and so then the, the metric itself isn't whether we convince that person or not. It's whether we did the right thing in accordance with the word of God and in mm -hmm. accordance with our conscience and so on and so forth, our spiritual conscience. I, the other thing I, I say to people is we've got to constantly strive to increase our emotion, emotional capacity. Oh, beautiful. And, and the reason I say that, to, to me, the number one quality of a, of a spiritual leader in, in the context in which I work is what is their emotional capacity and is it flexible to expand? Because what takes leaders out more than anything I've ever seen is they hit their emotional ceiling and they can go no further and therefore they are stuck. We have to have the ability, and this is where trials are really important in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when, when I went through my cancer diagnosis, I was a young evangelist who's like, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the world. And I'm just preaching like I knew everything about everything in the world. Right. And then you hear, no, the tumor's malignant. I'm like, I'm just devastated. Right. You know, I go, from, yeah. we're going to change the world too. I'm going to die. You know what I mean? Uh, I guess, I guess we're not going to change the world. And what I had to realize there is, do I have the emotional capacity not to change the world, but to get through this moment? Mm. And, and, and cause changing the world requires a moment like that to get through, to wow. have the characteristics and the qualities. So, I'm always saying to young leaders in particular, don't be afraid to come to the edge of your comfort zone and take one more step. Don't be afraid to get to the edge of where you're comfortable and in control of everything into that mysterious next level of what might happen next if I push my comfort zone boundary, if I step into the realm of it's a little bit out of control. And I think we need to challenge ourselves that way. Well, you know, it's interesting. That's the way I one of the things that you, you, you know, I was, I wrote down uh, in thinking about my relationship with God and a conversation I was having with a, a young leader who's just started his new job after graduating college. And I was explaining to him and I wrote the word, the phrase down emotional deficit. And I said, it, it seems to me, and I said, I've been there before that you're operating at an emotional deficit most days that you you're not replenishing. And I think when you talked about emotional capacity, um, uh, one of the reasons I like reading different translations of the Bible is I do think some translations speak more emotionally than other translations. And uh, sometimes, you know, people become wed to uh, various translations. When I was uh, in my 20s, I'd go to Christian bookstores to get a Bible. And I was reading the NIV at the time. And the NIV was like, 
in the corner, kind of over on the side in the KJV, the King James version was the featured version. Uh, and I was like, Hey, I'd like an NIV. And, and people look at me like, why do you want the NIV? You know? And, and so there's, there's a tendency to react to that, but there are more emotional relationships. More, more, there are, there are translations I think that are a little bit more emotional. And the reason I mention it is because sometimes we can be in our, this is just my personal view. We can be in a religious lane where we're reading, uh, you use the term ritualistically. I use the term with a form of religiosity where we, uh, I would describe religiosity is the distance between uh, 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 a prescribed or a uh, almost a sanitized uh, faith versus an authentic faith where we're, where we're pushing past following the rules and having the right behavior and we're getting into the messiness of what it is to be human. Uh, and so when I look at that, I have, have looked at myself and said, there have been times where I've burnt out because I was not replenishing emotionally. I might've been reading the Bible and praying, but there was no recovery. And I think that one of the things I've seen in my life is early on, very few people, and I'm not saying this is their fault. I had to discover this. I had to pursue, to go back to what Marcy said about, you know, God is always pursuing us. I had to decide to pursue God and, and pursue his purposes and his plan for my life and believe, I think the voice translation in Romans eight twenty eight says that he wants us to have a good and beautiful life. I did learn, I did decide to trust him with that. And what does beautiful look like? Because beautiful sometimes to me is different than God, but God, you know, he has the right one in mind. Uh, but it took a lot of me dismantling the scaffolding of my life and saying, I've got to rebuild myself. And, and I'm talking about this because I, I'm a very, and it sounds like you are too, I'm a very different leader than I was 20 years ago than I am today. Honestly, I'm a very different leader than I was five years ago. And uh, I had a conversation with someone who knew me, you know, 40 years ago or something. And um, the person's opinion was that I should, you know, think, think a certain way. I know you. He's like, I know you. You should, you, you think this way, this is what you want. I go, I go, I, I've changed. I, you may not know me as well. And part of the reason I've changed is I had to break through a strong barrier that I developed when I was a kid. When I was about seven years old, I got my feelings hurt and I shut off emotionally. And I remember it. I shut off emotionally. And then by the time I was like 12, I was like, or 11, I was like, I want to be Spock, Star Trek. Spock's my man. He feels no emotion, therefore he feels no pain. And and I was, and, and most of my pain was over being rejected, not being included in a group, not being liked by some little girl that I might've liked, whatever it may have been. And it wasn't until I think really my early thirties that I began to get my hands around the emotional part. And I'm saying that because I, I work with leaders a lot who their talent is extraordinary their ability to execute is better than mine, but there's not a value for this emotional part of, of life and relationship with God. And I want to go to a book you introduced earlier, because I really think when you're talking about emotional deficits, emotional capability, we're moving into the realm of love. And there's so many great scriptures on this. I think the best book on it is Hosea. If we don't ever experience God's love, we never get secure enough to become 
vulnerable emotionally. And then we never, Ephesians 3.18, get the strength internally that comes from letting God's love strengthen us emotionally. And then we can't love other people. And then what I notice is a lot in the spiritual realm, even with all the political things that go on, the polarization that goes on, Christians have to remember, we're supposed to be the ones who love. And that can be like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm going to love in a minute once I get my point across. And I want to read First John 4, which you already introduced, beginning in verse 16 for everybody. And then I just want to have you respond however you want to respond to what I was talking about. It says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And that's the emotion to me, the emotional connection to God and strengthening. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. A.T. referred to that a while back in our podcast. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Some translations talk about not made complete. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Going back to what A.T. hit before, because I thought it was so perfectly uh, positioned for us as an access point on the podcast. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So when I look at that, I go an unshakable relationship with God. And I'm taking this based on what you shared today. At the end of the day, the best way we can know we've got one is our emotional capability, which translates into our willingness and our ability to love other people. What do you think? You can certainly disagree or re-educate me. Uh, what do you think? That's my favorite. One of my favorite chapters is right there in First John 4, 27 times agape love is referred to in that one chapter, Russ. I mean, 27 times John is just like driving home the very point. I did want to say, you know, that perfect love drives out fear is right there in the middle of what you read there. And, you know, I've, I've come to having endured the things we've endured uh, in life. Uh, Marcy and I were talking the other day. I cannot imagine being the man I am without the gifts those trials have given me. Wow. Um, and and one of the gifts that I, I feel like I've been given is... Um, is this idea that, and this is this, I hope this sounds right, but a fear realized is a fear relieved when God's involved. Mm. Um, wow. So a fear, a fear that is experienced. So let's say, what's your greatest fear out there? Somebody's listening and you say, man, I'm really afraid this will happen to my kids. Or I'm really afraid of this diagnosis, or I'm really afraid I'm going to go broke. Well, a fear realized when God is involved is a fear relieved. And if you'd have told me I, would, I was going to be a cancer survivor, I would have told you that scares me to death. But now what I, the gifts I've been given through that experience are gifts I can now give to others. And, and I've had opportunity to do that so many times. Um, I get worried about folks who want to kind of anesthetize themselves. Is that the right word? You, yes, you it kind is. Of anesthetize themselves to the pain of a trial they're going through because then you are no, you're no longer in the classroom that that trial is providing. And you're no longer gaining that expanding emotional capacity uh, that that trial is providing. And that's what that's what first Peter Peter writes to some people in a really tough trial. And he says, but these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold will be proved genuine. It's there's a refining of us going on. But if we're 
if we're taking away that pain through unspiritual means, then we're, then we're losing the opportunity to grow and expand our own selves and push that, that, that fear boundary and, and become courageous humans. And then ultimately uh, limiting the capacity to love having gone through cancer, having a wife who suffered migraines, watching a son who's been shot in the streets of Chicago, knowing what this city is enduring even at this hour has expanded my ability of concern and love and compassion for those who also go through these things. I just praise God for those gifts. I can't imagine not having them. And I'm so grateful to be sitting here. You got to survive them. You know, I, yeah. I had to live through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's key. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm telling you, I, I just, we talk about it all the time as painful as some of these things were and are what we've gained from them are, are beyond measure in their richness. And so, what, you, know, you know, when I listen to you, one, it, 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 uh, it would not be an overstatement or hyperbolic to say uh, it's, it's breathtaking the way you describe the fear and that when it's realized, as I listen to you, um, there's a freedom that comes. And, and I think a lot of us live in fear, and so we're not free. And we try to avoid pain that my philosophy is suffering is inevitable for every human being. But those with faith, they can see the purpose in suffering. Those without faith, they just suffer. Um, and you're redescribing faith in some ways as having a living faith, not just one that is a church faith. Or not, you know, like I go to church and therefore, like you said earlier, I have perfect attendance at church and therefore I have faith. Or I've never missed a quiet time and therefore I have faith. Or, you know, I don't sin like you. Uh, that's one of my uh, favorites because I came to the church a total pagan. Like there was not a spiritual bone in my body. There were some philosophical ones, but at all. And so to me, everything about church was strange, you know? And when I read the list of sins, I was like, uh, half of those are my schedule. So what, what am I going to do now? And I was definitely seen as a, as an outsider when I came inside, but I want to read this quote, uh, J.B. Phillips, uh, he writes a translation of the Bible, and he also writes a book on New Testament Christianity. He says, now, in a way, it is a pity that we have to use the word faith to describe the faculty by which the unseen dimension is grasped, drawn upon, and lived by. And one of the things he talks about there is the unseen dimension. And he says that he describes faith as a faculty, the same way that uh, intellectual thinking is a faculty, the same way emotional intelligence is a faculty, that it's underestimated how much it should be used as a sense. And when you described it, you basically were describing faith as something that was allowing you to navigate the life traumas. Uh, and I appreciate that. And I want to put that in front of people, this quote by J.B. Phillips that faith is a faculty. It should be something in your repertoire of life that you're using all the time. It's like when we walk around, we're using our eyesight. We don't close our eyes and walk. We go, I know I got to keep them open. We got to keep faith active 
so we can navigate this life. Now, as I was listening to you, and I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you to give a, 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 a thought on this. Why? And I, I, I'm making an assumption in this question. So if you disagree with the assumption, please push back on that. I'm very comfortable with any kind of pushing back. But why don't we hear more sermons like the way you're talking today? Because I feel like that's not something common where you flip on a podcast, you go to church and the sermon is not on, on, you know, how do we do this as a Christian? It's not on how do we solve this problem uh, as a Christian? It's sometimes maybe once a month, maybe every two months, something where there's just teaching that allows the individual sitting there to be swallowed up by the extraordinary privilege, opportunity, and blessing it is to know God. I know in my worst moments of my life, my worst spiritual moments, my worst financial moments, the only thing that put a smile on my face was Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe you think there's a lot of these, uh, this being taught, but it seems to me that there should be a moratorium on behavioral Christian teaching sometimes for a few weeks, and there should be an advance of this kind of teaching. But what are your thoughts? You can disagree or you can hone it, make it sound better or whatever. Uh, what, just give me your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think that's a really um, we're going to enter into a long uh, podcast uh, format here because I think we could talk for an hour about this. I think we we sometimes have and self-included, we can get spiritually lazy as leaders. Yeah. And so we were, I think we use the wrong value system when we're, when we're trying to accomplish something in a sermon. And, and, and I think we're, we're using metrics that are common and, and seeable as opposed to built on faith. You know, uh, there's Marcy has a whole, my wife, she's taught me so much Russ. I mean, I, yeah, but you know, this idea of the second Jesus has asked, what are the, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love, love your neighbor as yourself. There's an assumption there. The assumption is that we love ourselves. <laughs> the love that we give, the love that we, the love that we give to others is a love that comes from a place within us because we love ourselves. We love ourselves. And, and this idea of you've got to be well within you in order to love uh, others and be that bright shining light to the glory of God out in the chaos and darkness of the world. And I think we're forgetting that as leaders, we need spiritual wellness to happen in everybody's life. And, and I think if all of us just decided to invest in our relationship with God um, to not, not commit the, it's called a spiritual bypass or pass through where you're, you're, you're reading something to give it to somebody else. You know what I mean? No, yeah. no, this is for me and I'm going to take care of me. And then from there, I'm going to have a, I'm going to be a healthy person. So I can give something to other people. And I think a lot of us are just depleted right now. Boy, and, I think, great. and so then I think we're, we're, we're an inch deep and a mile wide in our, in our responsibilities. And, and, and we need that, that inch to become an ocean depth of, of spirituality that we're all striving for. Right now, I just heard a statistic recently, Russ, 1,500 ministers a month are resigning and across the U.S. And I, I just think 
we're humans. Um, we're, we're reaching our, our, our capacity points. And it's really important right now that we dig deep. We invest in the right things. You know, when, when's the perfect time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but what's the net, what's the second best time to plant a tree right now? You wow. know what I mean? It's like, wow. uh, you know, and I think, I think, uh, you know, I think we got to plant the tree, uh, put the seed in the soil and let it grow so that 20 years from now we can look back on that journey and go, Whoa, that was worth it. That, that, that moment of planting that seed was worth it. You know? I love that story in God alone. I think we've given yeah. it some treatment today and I we hope have. our listeners are able to benefit from it. You know, there's some young listeners out there who may be listening to me going, that old guy's got these old stories. I don't know. Uh, you know, but, uh, uh, I, I hope you understand that the journey I've taken and, uh, the journey that AT has taken is one we just wanted to share, not speaking from points of perfection, but from experience of the turbulent challenges of life and seeing a path to through those to the opportunities that God wants to give us. Madison Ryan Ward is one of my favorite singers. She's new on the horizon. I think she played volleyball, believe it or not, at Oklahoma. And some people don't listen to popular music. They only listen to different, I don't know what they listen to. I listen to popular music. And the reason I'm bringing this lyric up is for those of you out there who are listening, who we, AT and I hope we've encouraged you and we hope if you've made it to the end, I'm going to give you this little treat of Madison Ryan Ward. I just want to read the lyrics because she has a song called Broken. And it's about a relationship, but I think about not only the relationships with people, not only romantic relationships, but our relationship with God. But she really writes eloquently, I think, about the struggle. She writes, I don't want to argue. I don't want to fight. I just want to know where you went when you left me that night. I don't want to be here lying on the floor, picking up the pieces you left when you walked out that door. And I don't know why, but it's still open. You left me tired and lonely, and I can't believe I'm still waiting around. I don't want to cry, but you know me so well. I just want to hold back, but tears, they keep coming. You may not love me now, but at least you love me then. You left me broken. If you feel broken, by anything in life, by the struggles, the difficulties. What we try to do today is talk about how God wants us to be mended and how walking with him can do that. I thank AT today for helping us guide us and directing us through his life. I want to thank Marcy as well uh, for helping us within God alone. You can find all kinds of articles at dspirituality.com. You can also find our podcast, both this podcast and ones to come, or the previous ones, as well as the ones to come. Uh, and you'll be able to find in the show notes a lot of the references. There were some pretty cool phrases and scriptures that AT referred to. We'll make sure we put those in the show notes so you can look at them. And uh, depending on what our producers decide, this will be a one episode or a two episode one because uh, AT and I got rolling and we thought we were on a phone call helping each other spiritually and uh, we forgot you were listening. Thanks a lot, everybody. And uh, please keep listening and share these uh, podcasts and articles with others to help them on their journey.